You're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Welcome back, everybody. Jeff here. Today, I'm in the lovely home of Dana Hall and David Ferguson. Dana is a gemstone buyer for a jewelry manufacturer, and David is a damage prevention facilitator for underground facilities, and they've been together 18 years. Guys, thank you for joining me on the show. Sure. Thank you for asking us to be here. Tell me a little bit about um, each of your coming out journeys and how you met as a couple. I was 25 when I came out, so it took a while. I mean, I always, of course, knew, but uh, true coming out was when I was 25. Um, uh, My father had passed, and I was, uh, I remember sitting in the kitchen uh, dining area with my mom and um, telling her that I had met someone and we were talking about who he was. Um, and you know, she already expected that I was gay, but, um, we had never talked about it. Um, of course, you know, I had girlfriends and, you know, I lived the, or was trying to live the straight life and was in a Southern Baptist church. And so, um, we sat and talked for a while, and you know, I think the only thing that really concerned my mom was she just didn't want me to be hurt, didn't want anyone to hurt me. She knew that it would be a struggle to be a gay man, but... Uh, she was they, protective of your safety? Correct. And, I think okay. that's really what she was concerned about. Okay. Yeah. And given that it was a Southern Baptist background, since I have the same background, mm-hmm. I know a little bit about what that's like. How did your mom come around so quickly? I mean, it sounds like she, you said in a conversation, she sort of... Yeah. Um, You know, I think since she suspected that, and and of course, just um, her love for her children, um, I think that's that's really what the main thing was, was just supporting me, making sure I felt um, loved. And, um, you know, I don't think the religion played a part in, in, in how she reacted to it. I think she just, um, you know, because of her love for me, that was all that was important to her. Dana, what about you? What, what is your coming out story? Well, um, I was the youngest of five and my oldest brother was gay. And, um, so he kind of started the ball rolling as far as with the family and everything. And my folks... Um, dealt with that, with the news. I don't even know how he shared it with them, but they kept it between just themselves. Uh, and I was 12 years younger, so I wasn't involved in any of that conversation. They didn't share it with the other kids. They did not share it with the other kids. It was kind of their secret. And, um, and in time, we all figured it out, obviously. And Craig entered, my brother Craig introduced, uh, people he was dating to the family and we all, you know, it meant, it was like, okay, you know, it was just not spoken, but, um, we all just knew. And, um, but, uh, anyway, sadly, uh, in the eighties, he, um, his partner died of AIDS first 
And, uh, and when my, when he was sick, my brother asked me to move down and help take care of him. And at the time I was engaged to get married to a girl. And because even though I knew I was gay and it was accepted in my family, I still wanted, thought I could live the life of a straight man. And, um, long story short, um, with my brother's passing, I learned that life is too short to be somebody you're not. And so it came time for me to tell my folks that, hey, you know, you've been through this before, here I am. And their biggest concern was that I would die because they just had lost their firstborn. Of course. So um, uh, that took some time, but uh, they were very, very accepting. How old were you, Dana, when you... I would have been 22. 22. Uh-huh. Okay. And so tell me about your journeys from that point to the point in which you met and became a couple. Well, as far as myself, I would have to say I was very naive. I never had been to a gay bar, really hadn't um, been around a lot of gay people. So um, it was a learning experience for me. Um, I was dating someone at the time and um, when I came out, and so that was new and... Um, over the years, you know, dated other people as well. And so it was, it was just a learning experience for me. Um, it felt very, uh, um, uh, uninformed. And so it, it, it took some time to, to be comfortable, I guess, with who I am or who I was and, and being able to, you know, ex- tell my friends that was a big step there. And then tell my family, uh, my brother, he's eight years older than I am. And so, you know, let him know and his family, um, even letting my niece at the time understand that I was a gay man. That was difficult because she, of course, she didn't know anyone really that was gay. So she had to experience that as well. So and then uh, but, you know, it, it, I'm sure a lot of people have to go through that same situation and get to where they're very comfortable with who they are. Well, a lot changed, actually, when my brother passed and I <clears throat> came out of the closet. I obviously was engaged to get married, so I had to end that relationship. Um, and it happened on its own um, because I, I struggled with my brother's death. And um, for some reason, my fiancé at the time um, did not see things the way I saw things. And so it... Um, Ended on its own. But uh, the the thing for me was that I had moved from Iowa down to Texas um, to take care of my brother Craig. And so I moved away from home for the first time. And so I moved away. I had him to take care of. And then when he was no longer there and I was actually myself, it's as if I was born again where um, I could be myself and I was a... But at the same time, I was afraid that I might run into people that knew me from Iowa. And the very first, and I still remember the very first gay bar I went to, I was terrified. I didn't know, you know, it's just a scary moment, believe it or not, when you walk into the bar for the first time and you're admitting to yourself in the world that, yes, you are gay. 
and I ran into a high school classmate. In the Austin, very first time. The very first time. Oh, your and worst he, fear. Right. And true. he's like, oh my, and I think it was his fear too. He's like, oh my God, you're Dana. And I'm like, Jay. And we just had a good laugh and we hugged and could not believe because we went to high school and had this big secret in Waverly, Iowa. And here we are in Austin, Texas. And it's um, like that common joke, right? Like, what if somebody sees me in the gay bar? Right. Well, <laughs> that <laughs> exactly. might mean they're gay too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's exactly what happened. Um, but that was my first outing. Yeah. So. And I had a similar, similar experience with a friend of mine from college. When I told him that I was gay, he said, well, guess what? I am too. So we both kind of came out to each other at that same time. Great. Well, tell me how you met. What's that story? Go ahead, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> we were in um, uh, Metropolitan Community Church of Austin, Texas. Um, at the time, was didn't have a building, so they were borrowing or renting a building from another church where we had to have services on a Saturday night instead of on a Sunday because they needed their building. Mm -hmm. And so we, I went on a Saturday and, um, which was common. I mean, I, I was very involved in the church and saw, um, David for the first time sitting with a friend of mine. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And see, I'd gone to church with another friend and he kept like nudging me saying, pay attention. You know, you're in church for crying out loud. And, uh, but I could not stop turning and seeing. And, and when it came time for communion, David and this other friend walked up and took communion together. And so after, so anyway, long story short, it looked like you were trying not to say I was cruising someone in right, church. And I, right. <laughs> but I was definitely cruising. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so afterwards, um, it was funny because everybody meets in the back for fellowship, um, coffee and cookies and what have you. And it was crowded. And uh, Mike, who I was with, said, I'll be right back. Just stay right there. And he disappeared into the crowd and went up to David and said, grabbed him by the hand, said, come with me. And he forced him through the crowd and said, you two need to talk. And it kind of put us in a weird situation, but uh, mm -hmm. we visited and talked about, you know, oh, well, we'll see each other next week yeah. and everything like that. And so we visited. David went back to his friend. And uh, and can, can I stop you there and ask David, had you noticed Dana at that point or? No, because he was sitting behind where I was sitting. So I had not noticed him. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, after David went back to his group of friends, Mike came back to me and he goes, so did you get his phone number? And I'm like, no, we're going to meet here next week. And he's like, rolled his eyes like, oh, my God, I got to do everything. <laughs> and he went and grabbed him again and brought him back. He goes, you guys need to exchange phone numbers. And so he really pushed us. Uh, uh, and I'm glad he did, because that very night it became stormy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, out of a fluke i called david i'm like what are you doing and he's like actually nothing so we went to dinner and i think dinner lasted till yeah we met at uh, kirby lane which is no longer there up north 
And we sat there and talked, and we were there for three hours. Yeah. Three hours. Three on hours. The, the first date that wasn't even really a date. Correct. Right. Right? It was just yeah. kind of like, Exactly. Yeah. Like, who is this person? But yeah. It was comfortable. Very anyway. comfortable. Very comfortable. Yeah. What did you notice in that dinner? Well, I mean, of course, there was the physical attraction, and then just the conversation was so easy. Um, you know, I think we had a lot of things in common, um, both, you know, close to our families, lots of good friends. Um, so yeah, it was just, uh, an easy, um, conversation and, and we just didn't want it to end. So. And where did it go from there? That first stormy night? Hmm. I'm trying to think myself. (laughs) It seems like it never ended. I mean, we, we kept in contact uh, of course, started dating. But it's almost like it accidentally happened because um, where I was living, um, there was a pool. And so David was over swimming one afternoon and and we were just laughing and having our conversation as usual. And I believe it was you that said, I love you first. Yep. And it shocked him that he said it out mm-hmm. loud. Mm-hmm. And I had already been holding back from saying that anyway. And so, um, and, and it's odd to say that it was love at first sight, but I do believe in yeah, that. I, I agree. And I, I mean, believe in destiny and I feel like that's just what happened. So, yeah. and it did take some time before we, we said the I, I love yous, but it didn't take too long, but, but we, <laughs> I know I remember having to hold back and trying not to scare somebody with that right away. You were holding it back and David, you hadn't planned to say it. No, I just, kind of it just came down. down. It came yeah. out. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, <laughs> there it is. What was it like it's to re- hear that, Dana? It was a relief because, um, uh, I had already felt it. So, you know, I, it was, it was perfect. It was easy. And so how long was it before you started the process of nesting? When did you actually start living together and sharing a life in that way? That went fast as well, because I yeah. think it was, Oct- we met in May of 2000. Yeah. And I think in October, decided to move in together. Yeah, because, and it was an odd situation because even though I was living where I was living, I was planning on moving out because... I had made my first home purchase, but it had not closed. So we met, and I said, yes, I live up north, but soon we'll be living south. And and David was working up north, but uh, ended up moving in with me in October Mm -hmm. after I moved. And now 18 years have passed. What are the highlights of that 18 years? Oh, so many. (laughs) We keep telling each other on a regular basis how much we love each other. And that just comes out, you know, riding in the car or wherever we are. We just, each one of us says, I love you, you know. And uh, And is that conscious and intentional or is it just sort of happen naturally? It happens naturally. Yeah. And I, but there's times where I, um, feel that if if it's just a a cruddy day you know what i i'll do it intentionally also at, in in those moments because it's like it's good to hear it's good to know that that's you know we still have one another um it's a lot sometimes it's work um sometimes it's not um but it together it helps us conquer things that are going on mm-hmm. out there that 
um, just isn't so pleasant. You're making a positive investment into your emotional love account. Right. Correct. On those days so that on the bad days, you're not depleted. Right. Right. And I'll make a conscious effort to pick up the phone and call him at work and just say, hey, I just wanted to contact you. I love you. Nothing yeah. else. We don't need to talk about anything else. That's it. And he just says, thanks. I needed that. And yeah. hang up the phone. And that's it. Yeah. So, that's and, great. Yeah. My husband does that too, but it also has the, and get a gallon of milk on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that happens too. <laughs> okay, that's right. Oh, by the way. <laughs> love you lots. And what are minutes. you buying us for dinner tonight? Oh, there yeah. you go. What are we doing for dinner? Um, but you... I want to throw this out too. You mentioned um, special moments uh, in the 18 years and something that, you know, me being from Iowa, when it became legal to be for gay marriage in Iowa, um, something that my folks were so excited about was you got to come get married. You know, they were the ones pushing us to get married. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we're both very uh, family oriented. And I... His mother, um, I loved dearly, and I became one of her boys, and she always referred to me as one of her boys. And so whenever my folks visited, they would uh, visit with Billy also, and so they'd all be together. We, you know, we combined both families a mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. And so when my, um, when it came time that, you know, it's like, okay, mom and dad wanted us to come up and get married, um, they were more ready for it than we were. Um, which seems odd, but um, it, they were. Yeah. And so we, we did eventually get up there and get married, and it was a very small ceremony. And was that during the time when some states had marriage and others did not? That is correct. That was in 2010. So okay. I believe, I think there were only, was it I, just four states? I'm not sure. I was was one of the first. So, yeah. Which is and it was hard finding a place to get married at that time because people were running to Iowa to get married. Mm -hmm. It was a huge moneymaker for the state. We got married in 2010, and we did get... Uh, that was in Iowa. Then we came back down to Austin and had a little bit of a reception here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. It was amazing to go from dating to being a husband and a husband um, did you feel that difference? Yes. Just going through the ceremony? I did. Tell me about that. Like, what was different? <clears throat> it was as if we were uh, approved by the church. I would say that, you know, you're committed to each other and you know you are. And then finally it's on paper and, and it's and they have witnesses. legal and it's... You know, and it's a, a, a contract sort of like, but you know, it's just knowing that now you have the ability to combine your lives even more, combine your finances, um, you know, file as a, a couple on your, on your taxes. You know, you have the same rights and responsibilities as other, you know, couples. But it makes a big difference when you have family members. Yeah. Sitting around the room looking at you and the minister says, okay, not only, you know, they are a couple, but um, they will lean on all of you uh, during the bad times and they need you to commit to be strong for them and to give advice when, when needed. And so I felt like it was 
not only only bringing us together, but it was a way of saying to the family, you know, we want some help if we need it. You know, please be part of our relationship. And now we're the role models for our nieces and nephews and, and you know, as far as uh, couples and relationships and marriage, you know, they look to us <clears throat> and they... They want to be with us and do things with us, yes. and they enjoy our company. And we love to have and, them visit. Yeah, and we and so I think we help them as well build their relationship with their significant other. David, a moment ago, you mentioned ups and downs and uh, challenges and um, arguments. Mm-hmm. And has there ever been a time when either of you thought this might not work? And if so, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Because obviously it's been 18 years. Yeah. I remember there was one time, one fight that we had, and I actually thought that was possibly the turning point and ending of the relationship. Um, and then uh, after that, we, we both agreed to do some go to counseling um, and, and get the tools to maybe... Um, um, but communicate better. It, it didn't make me question. It was something that was said by a total stranger that said something to me that really stuck, and that was um, to make sure that you do things that are right for yourself, not just to make other people happy. And so when I got home, I was like, are we doing this to make other people happy? Or are we doing this for us? Oh. And so it caused... A Do we really riff. want to be married? Right. Mm-hmm. Are we doing this for other people? It made us do step back a little bit and look at things. and But at the same time, I felt um, that, I've, and I've seen this happen with other couples where, oh, it's too hard to figure out. Let's just go our separate ways. And I'm like, that was not going to be the situation here. You know, we're going to make, we're going to, dig into this and see what, what we can do. Um, because I I had seen it too many times with other people um, who's like, ah, oh, this is just too much work. Mm. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, it can be work. But uh, I'm glad we have uh, weathered the storms. Mm-hmm. And um, What was it in the therapy that you got during that time that seemed to help? Um, well, I think I'll, one thing is that uh, for me, I think Dana learned that I don't receive, I'm, I, I'm not very receptive for uh, someone who's speaking to me in a loud voice or yelling or kind of being very aggressive. And so, and I think Dana, that was his way of expressing his feelings. But I think he learned for me, that's not how I receive right. that information. I can, I looked for calm um, and discussions using, you know, our feelings and our emotions, but in a way that is not um, uh, in an angry or aggressive manner. So we learned how to communicate a lot easier and and how it's best received from the other person. He was definitely brought up differently than I was. He was in a... I was in a very, I think I came from a loud household, I could say. Well, you had all those siblings and you had to, yeah, and, to get your voice heard. You had to be loud. Uh, and, and he did, and he, his older, his older brother was eight, I believe. And, 
Well, he's eight years older, so, you know, even though I had an older brother, it sometimes felt like I was an only child, so I didn't have that competition of of having to compete with siblings to get my voice heard or, or let my parents know how I felt, so... Totally different. You mentioned your parents, and both of you uh, have mentioned David, your mom. And in doing my research for the podcast, I understand that she passed away. Yes. So my dad passed away in 92, and then my mom, um, she passed away in November of 2014. But before she passed, um, she was living in Round Rock, and Dana and I were down here in South Austin. uh, And we were living in Dana's house. That he had purchased and then there was a home across the street that went to foreclosure and we decided that um, I would buy that one and we were going to renovate it and rent it out for investment and then we decided well you know that's a good property to live in uh, and uh, rented Dana's house out and then when that couple decided they were going to move I called my mom and I said well we're kind of deciding do we want to keep Dana's home um, or sell it. And another option is you can move from Round Rock down to here because the time, only time I could see mom was on the weekends. And when I was up there, it was doing yard work and everything. So it was just difficult getting up there sometimes. And, and she had had a, a, a situation where she had fallen one day and, um, we always called her in the evenings. So she had fallen and so later that evening, I tried calling her and couldn't get her and couldn't get her. And it was very unusual. So it was a Friday. We got in the car that evening, drove up there, which took about an hour to get there. Wow. Got there. All the lights were off and I knew something was wrong. And so we went in and found her on the floor. She had had a, a medical issue, which caused her to lose um, her ability to walk and, and get up. And so she had to lay on the floor until we got there. So, you know, we just figured that she was getting older. She needed maybe you know a little more well she she could live on her own but we just needed to be a little closer so we said move down here live across the street and that's what she did and then um she lived there for a while we moved we then decided to move her in with us across the street sold dana's house and then we built the home we're in here uh for the purpose of having her live with us and um make it a, a a way where she had her space and we had our space and then she lived with us for several years. Unfortunately, it got to a point where um, I couldn't take care of her, uh, and she needed 24-hour, around-the-clock care. So we did an, put her into a home, which I really didn't want to do. Um, but well, we both did. of you visited quite regularly. We right? every, day, every day we were there with her every day. I went. I got there in the morning before I went to work. And then we both were there in the evening with her. Yeah. I'd even go at noon sometimes. Yeah. So we were always there with her every day. Yeah. And the staff knew us. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, the other people in the home. All the other residents, we got to know them yeah. very well, too, because we visited with them. We visited them more than their own families did, which broke my heart. Yeah. But Caring for a loved one like that and then having to go through loss, mm-hmm. how did that impact your relationship? Um, I think it definitely brought us closer because, because we lost my mom in November 2014 and a few months later, uh, in January of 2015, we lost Dana's mom. So, um, and we were close to both of them and, and, uh, you know, it's just, um, it's nice that you have a partner and a spouse 
who loves the other family and the other parents just as much as you do and cares for them and wants the best for them. And it's that caring, which, you know, you don't get that all the time from uh, uh, your spouse, you know, for, for your fa- your parents. But Dana loved mom and, and cared for her just as much as I did. And so that was a blessing. And so, and I, we tried to make it up to Iowa to see his parents or as much as possible as well. And, right. and know that they were loved and we were here for them. So I think it just totally brought us even more together and right. and we were on the same same place together. Yeah. Now, I don't think either one of us would have wanted to go through what we went through without one another. Right. And so the bond that we had even became even tighter than That's and right. I didn't even think it could have been tighter, mm-hmm. but it became tighter. So beautiful. Thanks. Guys, we're just about out of time, but um in a word or two what would you say to younger couples who are trying to figure this thing called relationship out? What advice would you give them about growing your relationship and making it strong and healthy? Well, I would always say be true to yourself. Understand that communication is key to a relationship. Um, expressing your feelings, but in a way that is um, healthy and a way that the other person can understand how you feel and don't force anything upon someone else. Don't expect them to change, you know, to be the person you think they should be. If that's the person you need to be with, then that's the person you need to accept and to love. And just understand we're, we're all different. And um, But look at the 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 positive points and and what you can get out of that relationship and and just open yourself up to love a lot of people say oh my standards are too high and this and that there's no need to lower your standards but at the same time when you do find somebody um i do see it quite often and that is people give up too easily and sometimes you just need to work with it. and But then there's times where you just need to let go, too. True. I, I do know there's both sides to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just, you know, you can't, um, you just have to make it work. Dana, David, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Do you know any LGBT couples with interesting stories and wisdom to share on the show? Jeff would love to meet them, so please contact him through the website at qmarriagementors.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great week.